In March, security maker RSA announced its computers were breached in a sophisticated hack that exposed seed information about its secure ID two-factor authentication product. In June, to boost its own security, RSA owner, storage maker EMC, named Eddie Schwartz as RSA's first chief security officer. Schwartz had been CSO at another EMC subsidiary, NetWitness. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to welcome Eddie Schwartz to our podcast. Thanks for taking time to chat, Eddie. Thanks for inviting me. Hindsight, as the cliche goes, is always 2020. Still, there are lessons learned from mistakes. Knowing what we know now, what should RSA have done differently to prevent the breach? So I think as we look across the, the landscape of various organizations that are suffering breaches today, you know, it's interesting because many organizations in different profiles, whether they're security companies, uh, contractors in different areas, government agencies, large banks, uh, you know, it seems to be a, a ration of these things. And, uh, you know, the basic issue is that most organizations have had a focus on, you know, the security perimeter, dealing with that. What we saw at RSA uh, had a great focus on the issue of security telemetry. Dave Martin, who's actually the global CSO for uh, EMC, who's, who's you know, sort of my partner in crime there, actually has a team and they're focused on, uh, you know, this issue of how do we get better visibility into these types of threats, such as the one, you know, that we experience, you know, and how do we shorten that risk window? You know, when you think of these advanced threats, I think the trick really is to think about, you know, how do we shorten this risk window so that, you know, when you think about future breaches, that ultimately, that risk window is is shortened even further. I think that uh, Dave's team you know, did an awesome job, you know, with this one in particular. As other companies continue to look at that, you know, we're going to continue to look at, you know, how do we do that, you know, and then how do we continue to get deeper visibility across the entire enterprise relative to potential advanced threat vectors such as the ones we saw. When you speak about this uh, sh- shortening the risk window, what do you specifically mean by that? And uh, being able to identify that there's some kind of intrusion? Yeah, so I mean, part of the issue today is that if you imagine yourself in the position of an adversary, I mean, they know what most organizations, whether you're a security company or a bank or a government agency, they know what defenses you have in place. I mean, whether you're using a, an advanced authentication system or some sort of firewall or malware detection system. And so they already know this. So they're looking to create exploits and techniques that are going to evade prevention that most people use. And it's the type of techniques that most of us use. So we have to assume that all of us are living in compromise in some way and that whether we like it or not, we're, we're all going to have successful breaches. I mean, it's just a fact of life that we all have to come to grips with. So now the question is, how open is that window of risk during which the attacker is in our organization? And can we put measures in place that increase both control and visibility during that time frame? And I think in general, you know, over the last few years, most organizations have been focused on compliance versus, let's say, improving that, that uh, you know, that aspect of visibility and having a more dynamic nature to that process. The adversaries have kind of had a leg up on, you know, on us. But having said that, that as, as we look at things a bit differently, and I, and I think, again, back to Dave Martin, you know, he's, he's done a good job of, of sort of being forward-leaning in this area. The visibility has to say, well, we have to be able to detect the attacker faster. We have to be able to close that window after what are the different elements of network visibility, visibility into 
machines, you know, whether they're servers or host visibility into uh, web traffic that we have that enable us to tell that something's happening and, and close that activity down. Some of these attacks, when they're different pieces and parts the attacker would have to assemble, ultimately never give them, you know, the hole that they're looking for. Listening to you, I'm thinking of two things. One question is, has RSA made changes to its computer systems that has closed this window since, since the breach? Just like every organization, you know, we're always looking at ways that we can increase both our security in the organization and decrease the attack surface. You know, when you think about, you know, something like an event like this, guys like Dave Martin and his team and the team at RSA, you know, you might think of something like this and go, oh, my gosh, you know, this is, a, you know, like a terrible situation for these guys. But guys that are true, hardcore incident responders, for them, these are, are times when they really thrive because it gives them an opportunity to get a better window into advanced adversarial techniques and out of that process, better solutions. You know, the sort of roundabout way of answering your question with a yes is to say that, you know, as as we at RSA and, and other you know, organizations that I've been talking to, both, you know, for my four and a half years in that witness and then now here, as we see these attacks, as, as many of us experience them, and, and my peers in other companies that I talked to that have recently experienced similar attacks, as we see these things, you know, we share this information with each other, and then we say, ah, you know, if, if we make these changes, if we look at these things a little differently, um, we can shorten this attack window. But, I mean, again, these guys are are, uh, you know, highly motivated and obviously excited about, you know, sort of new discoveries and, and, and ways to, to shut these things down. Should I take that as a yes, there are steps to, to close the window at RSA? Yeah, I mean, most definitely. But again, I, you know, I would say that every organization is looking at that, right? I mean, I think you have to assume that RSA, EMC, like any organization, is constantly looking at their security and saying, what can we do to get better visibility into attacks? Anything we're doing now is not just a result of, of some issue associated with the breach. Dave's team, GSO, is constantly looking at what are the new threat vectors out there? What are the things that we should be doing to get better control? What are the things that we should be doing to get better visibility? And these types of viewpoints, you know, which we share with, with other organizations that are forward-leaning, in the advanced threat management space. I mean, you're constantly doing that, and that's part of a dynamic security program. If you were to just sit around and say, ah, you know, let's wait for the next thing to happen, you know, that would be bad. So certainly it's a yes relative, you know, to the general question. Keep in mind, it's an ongoing yes. You know, that's been ongoing for some time. You know, NetWitness wasn't an artifact of this breach. Dave and his team had the sense to be doing this kind of work way before uh, any of this even hit the horizon. You talk about companies sort of living in this area where they have to sort of accept they're being breached. What does that say about the usefulness of products such as Secure ID to authentic, you know, multi-factor authentication? Secure ID uh, and, and two-factor authentication is still preferable over user ID and password and, and many other types of authentication techniques. Um, I mean, if you think about it, the basic premise, for example, that you could take an end user and say, listen, uh, here's your user ID and create a password of your choice that, um, you know, meets some criteria, 
it's been proven over and over and over again in many studies that no matter how much education you do and no matter how much you implement, there's sort of a diminishing return on simple user ID and password uh, type of approaches. When you implement a second factor, whether that second factor involves a token or involves some other type of thing that you are or thing that you have with you, and then there's another secret, for example, that's in your head in addition to a password, it becomes infinitely more complex for an attacker uh, to get access to that, even if they have key loggers installed on the machine. I still firmly believe that any organization that's serious about authentication management should be implementing Secure ID and should be looking at other means of two-factor authentication across their enterprise. But keep in mind that Secure ID is just the authentication side of the equation, right? The reality is that there's another side to it, right? If you think of Secure ID as a control, where's the visibility part? And that's where things like adaptive authentication come into place because Suppose I gave you, Eric, a secure ID token, and I said, okay, now you have a second factor, and, and all is good, and you, and you use it properly under the, you know, the way that you're supposed to use it. But now, when you're, you're trying to log in, some login attempt occurs in another state somewhere, or, or maybe somebody steals your token, and you left your PIN you know, on, a, on a Post-it note somewhere, and, and you know, in other words, somebody's figured out all of the secrets they need. I should be able, as a security guy, to have visibility into the fact that Eric's token has been stolen or is being misused in some way. That component of visibility into user anomalies or behavioral anomalies or other things is something that organizations also need to step up to. Yes, I have two-factor, but I also need to know that Joe is logging into Gmail today with two-factor authentication, but he's logging in from Brazil and he's never, ever gone there before. Companies that may have been hacked because the seed information was exposed from the breach, from what I'm hearing you say, and, and you know others may even raise the same point, is that there's a certain responsibility on the user themselves in a the sense of protecting passwords, or as you just pointed out, maybe looking for anomalies and where someone's logging in. So how much of responsibilities should individuals take if they're victims of, of the original breach because they also had somehow their password exposed? That's a really good point that you raised. Obviously, any system that's designed to provide secure authentication, there is an, an aspect to it that you have to say which components, for example, are custodial aspects of this system that requires, for example, the IT organization or the security organization to treat that as, let's say, one of the highest valued assets in the organization that need to be protected accordingly. If you know, for example, that part of the, the, the other side of the secret, right, is something that, that is both something that's typed into a keyboard and something that's in the user's either hands or head, what mitigating controls do you put in place to ensure that that's not compromised? And I think it's, you know, it's certainly important that as you look at the security of the whole system, that all of those things, whether they involve physical security controls, procedural controls, education, and so on, that all of that be there. And again, for leading organizations, all of that is, you know, hopefully built into, a, you know, a designed process in their security program. As you move down the food chain sometimes in organizations, uh, unfortunately, there, there can be an assumption at times that, well, you know, I've got this thing and it just protects me. And that's why RSA, when, you know, we did talk about the breach, you know, we, we sort of reminded people to follow certain 
sounded prudent practices relative to both the internal security and the use of secure ID. I mean, there were some sort of derisive comments about that, but the reality is that if you look at, at certain organizations, one would question, are you, are you even following basic internal security practices? And it's really important to do that because even if you have a, a system that is supposed to work a certain way, if, if you, you know, sort of put it out in the open and, and it's not protected properly, you can run into some issues. Obviously, there's still a certain amount of distrust out there of a security company being breached from the customers. What more should RSA do to win back those skeptical customers? And do customers have all the information they need from RSA to use Secure ID or, for that matter, other RSA products securely? We've done a lot since the breach. Probably less of it is as clearly visible to the, the media than it is to our customers directly. But we've been out there communicating on our website and in different ways. But with regard to direct communications, we've actually talked directly to our customers. I mean, literally site visits, emails, phone calls, and taking direct steps from our customer service organization to ensure that they're well-informed and understand exactly where the risks are and understand what any remediation path looks like. That whole process has been very, very detailed, and, and, and we've been very clear on, on that process with regard to the customer. But in addition to that, uh, you know, what we've been doing is, is really looking at how does this look in terms of just the overall landscape where you see, you know, for example, a top bank having issues with hundreds of thousands of records being breached, uh, you know, other contractors, you know, with issues. You know, you see uh, custodians of lots of customer information, you know, over the last few months having issues, you know, either from activists, from from cyber criminal groups, from APTs. And, and by the way, there are other security companies that have been in this boat, too. So as part of this situation, what we did is we, we were actually having this event on July 14th, which we, we haven't publicized, and it's an invite-only event, but it's in D.C. We have 100 of the top, the world's top chief security officers coming to it from the public and private sector, and we're doing this information sharing. I mean, it's a closed-door event, but basically talking about, you know, given these advanced threats that everybody's facing, what really, you know, are the kinds of leading-edge defensive measures, uh, you know, the, the leading-edge ways of, of getting control and visibility over this problem so that there is better trust, whether it's trust on the consumer side, uh, you know, trust, you know, that we can all trust each other, you know, from, uh, you know, vendor-client relationships, uh, you know, wherever that, that trust needs to be improved. And, of course, you know, get, you know, get that, uh, you know, thing we talked about earlier, which is um, get a grip on, on that visibility. And we're also working with a number of industry working groups that are, are looking a lot more closely now based on activities since the beginning of the year at some of these different groups that have been plaguing <laughs> different organizations, you know, not just RSA. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you. I've been speaking with Eddie Schwartz, Chief Security Officer of RSA for Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.